0: The Big 100. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of The Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days... While in addition to that, there are also some off-picked activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's just two up top. Which means leading the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband on this very special show is Carl. So, Carl, how have you
2: been since we last spoke? Yeah, good, thanks, Dan. Bit of a mixed weekend um, for us, obviously. You know, one minute it was great, the next minute, not so great. Uh, but it's another good weekend of football, so looking forward to chatting, chatting all things Premier League, mate. Top man.
0: And of course, joining you in attack this afternoon is Pace fan Max. And, Max, how have you been in these last seven days? Yeah, very good, thanks. And I'm uh, delighted to be here for the centenary. Yes, we've hit number 100. So we'll more on that later. I'll do a bit of a speech at the end, a bit of self-indulgence. But before we do all of that, it's time to do the social media bits. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can, that's on Twitter, at Tracy 983 Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform... Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audioboom. While well, the easy way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Also, I want to give a shout out to Freelance Football Opportunities on Twitter at FFOps. If you're a freelancer and looking for paid jobs, they do an excellent weekly newsletter in return for a patron contribution of about £3 a month. I cannot recommend this enough in this current climate. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first on this very special show? I guess we have to go to Merseyside and a thrilling Derby encounter. So, Carl, the history books will say that Jordan Pickford was not at fault for a goal. But anyone watching that game will know that is far from the truth.
2: Yeah, he's, um, he's a little bit all over the shop, isn't he? Um, and I think, you know, we've discussed many times, haven't we, with Everton, where <clears throat> if you're looking at Everton's season and how far can they go, I think a lot of it is going to rely on the form of Pickford because, you know, you can be great at one end, but if you've got a goalkeeper flapping and making some crazy decisions at the other, it can cost you games. And I think, like, as you say, as much as some people might say directly, was he to blame for any of the goals? Um, I think the fact that this guy doesn't give confidence to his back four is going to cause Everton some real problems over the course of the season. And you are starting to look and just think, one, obviously, I'm sure we'll discuss it in a minute, was lucky to still be on the pitch. Um, and then also got lucky again right at the death with a far decision because you know the the one that that goes in that should be the winner um, but is ruled out again he's got away with one there because that was just some rank bad goalkeeping from a shot that really shouldn't have beat him but again could have cost Everton And, and like I say you know he just seems to be his mind seems to be all over the shot he really is reminding me of Joe Hart in his trajectory at the moment you know burst on the scene and everyone thought wow You know, this is the goal, this is the next generation. England's number one for a long while. Um, Seemed to get there, but then it's just suddenly, you know, his form and and the way he kind of behaves and the confidence he gives is just all, you know, right. Now, you wouldn't want to play in front of him because you just don't know what's coming next. Um, And I do believe, you know, he may struggle to hold on to his England jersey if he doesn't kind of get his mind right and just concentrate a little bit more um, because this weekend he was very fortunate indeed.
0: This is it, isn't it? Because trusted by Southgate and England colours for the more competitive fixtures that we've just had. He is a literal ticking time bomb for Everton, one that could have exploded much worse than it did at the weekend. Max, it could have exploded right in his face at the very last. So with that VAR call, I mean, how on earth can you even make that call? You know, we are talking, well, I don't even know the kind of the range of millimetre or centimetre in that. But how agreeable Liverpool feel not to have won that game 3-2?
1: yeah they'll they'll be massively aggrieved obviously um because in in the traditional football sense um it isn't it isn't really offside you know you look at the picture without any of the any of the lines drawn on manually and you would say oh he's he's level or if anything the the Everton defenders um a little bit further further towards the goal than the than is um, i have since read uh, a thread on on twitter a very good thread by uh, dale johnson of espn and he does an explainer uh, thread of all the VAR decisions over the weekend and he made a point which I hadn't realised which is basically um, because uh, the new handball rule uh, includes a different part of the arm as handball or not handball because the like the part of the arm that's considered handball or that you can score from um, has been extended. Uh, basically an inadvertent effect of that is that when you're looking at offsides uh, you draw the line in a different place because you can now score with this new part of your arm. So I think it's like the top of the arm where Mane, uh, where where, Mane's, where the line to Sadio Mane to, to the offside line was drawn because you can now newly score with that part of your body. Um, but you know, as I say, any Liverpool fan will look at that and think, "Oh, it's a bit ridiculous." Technically, the the laws have been enacted as they should have been, um, which is not the case for a lot of other decisions this week. Um, so you can understand how they've come to that decision. But it is a bit of a nonsense, this offside. Royal Palace had one um, as well, which was, you know, a, a quarter centimetre armpit hair offside, um, which wasn't given. And and, it, and it, it's frustrating because it's happening to every team. Um, and, and, and I think that might that might be a rule that is changed at the end
0: of the season. Well, Carl, Liverpool will feel agreed twice because there's that at the very end. First half, we've got the well, not only the big turning point of the game, patch of the season, because the first phase is called offside. Now, that bit is correct. The problem is, what is David Coop doing when he's in the control tower? Because he's looking too much at the offside and has completely ignored Pickford taking out Van Dyke
2: Yeah, I think this is the issue here, isn't it? Where, you know, we're sitting there saying that the way they've kind of looked at it is, oh, because it's offside, everything after that gets forgotten about. Um, which you kind of say, well, no, hang on a minute. You know, okay, you might say yes, it's offside. So in theory, you know, there, there's no issues there. Everton get the free kick, but the tackle after that um, that Pickford puts in on, on you know Van Dyke is one that you should actually, you know, a VAR official should be sitting there saying, okay, look, listen, there's offside. So that's the first thing. We get it's offside, free kick to Everton. The second thing here though is you need to go and have a look at the monitor at this tackle because. This is such a there's such a reckless tackle that happens after that that we need to actually look at this separately. We can't just say offside, so everything after that gets forgotten about. You know what are we going to see? Centre backs that suddenly lump someone in the face a minute an offside call comes because <laughs> they think, well, if it's offside, I'll just punch the striker in the face because nothing after that matters. Um, you know, it was a reckless check tack- tackle that you know again, and and we look at these sort of things over the course of time, don't we? Let's that, look at go back to last season when Son gets sent off at Everton um, for the Gomez incident. Now, you know, the reasoning there was endangerment. You know, you're endangering a player with the tackle. Well, surely the tackle from Pickford is just as much of an endangerment of injuring somebody um, than than other tackles we've seen. So you can't just suddenly ignore the tackle that's come after it because there's been an offside. Um, And you do have to say that you know, and we, this seems to be something—a common theme we keep saying all the time. This is what frustrates the fans: these decisions that, quite honestly, when you look at them, I'm not a match official, or if you like, a world-renowned match official, but I can look at that incident one the first, one time. I don't need seven or eight looks. I can see that the first time and go, "Oh, that's a red card." You know, that that challenge that that is over the top. You know, he's out of control. That is a red card because that's a leg breaker. How these match officials, with all this experience um, and all this knowledge, are not being able to say, "Well, hang on, that's naughty. We need to we need to deal with that." And I think that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Because again, that game can turn, can't it? Because Everton's suddenly down to ten men, um, and then Liverpool have got the numbers, and before you know it, after that, it could be that Liverpool cruise to a victory because they use their numbers wisely. Um, So you could say that decision has changed the game massively um, and it's a massive error. And I still believe we should be getting some form of official explanation as to why these decisions are not being looked at. And again, for me, you know, we need to go back to the thing that if these decisions are not being given and they're that blatantly obvious, then maybe, you know, the guy who was sitting there looking at that, Needs to be demoted or needs some training to kind of go, Well, you missed this. How have you missed this? Um, because that, that is just crazy decision, and and these are the things that you know VAR are just not helping themselves with because we want to, everyone wants to get on board with it, I think. But when you see these sorts of decisions each week, it just turns you off of it massively, and you're just saying, This isn't right. It's like with the, the Liverpool goal, the third one, when we're saying this offside. You know, one of the issues we still have here is with the technology. Is we don't know was the ball was that exactly when the ball was played, um, and I think that's another issue with these offsides we're looking at, isn't it? You know, the fine lines we're talking about. That's great, but we need to be we need to be able to be a hundred percent sure that that's the precise moment the ball is played by the you know the attacker making a pass because if you can't see that as well you know, something offside for, say, millimetres or centimetres, you could still be getting that wrong because that that frame has been frozen the minute the ball has left the attacker's foot. So it's such fine margins. I I don't believe those decisions should be getting called offside at all.
0: Well, Max, if we look at Richarlison sending off, wasn't there a tackle that was blown up seconds before? And then that technically is an off-the-ball challenge. So if we're applying a red card to that part of logic, why not? Pickford's and more importantly, why is Pickford not getting retrospective action?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> both both of those are good questions. Um, basically, how I understand it is that, um, that is that the referee should have looked at the red card incident um, after the offside incident, um, and and he didn't. Um, so it was a refereeing mistake on that on 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 his part. And actually, last season, one of the most egregious examples. Um, of of missing something on the pitch was, and I hope you won't mind me saying this as a Spurs fan, but um Lo horrendous tackle. I think it was on
0: Aspilaqueta. It was my um, next question actually, so you're absolutely fine, crack on.
1: Yeah, sure. Um and basically um the the VAR official uh on that day was David Cook and the referee was Michael Oliver, which was the same as the Liverpool Everton game at the weekend. So there's a theme here um of of missing big incidents. And, yeah, Carl is absolutely right. You should have looked at the offside incident, said, yeah, okay, that's offside. We'll give a free kick to Everton. Now let's move on. Let's look at the second half of it. Um, But now, basically, um, the the FA can't take retrospective action because the refereeing team have, um, quote, unquote, looked at it and decided that uh, that it wasn't a red card. But the VAR uh, review only reviewed the offside. It didn't review the red card incident. And it was a red card, you know, I don't think it was necessarily malicious, but it was out of control. And even if Van Dyke hadn't been injured and got a, a horrendous um, injury, which will really threaten Liverpool's chances of retaining the title, even if it hadn't resulted in an injury, it was still reckless. It was out of control and it should have been a red card. I don't think any Everton fan could have looked at that if Pickford did get a red card and um, and thought, oh no, that's completely undeserved. It was, it was totally deserved. Um, and, and they absolutely should have looked at it. But, you know, David Coote and, and Michael Oliver, that team together, they've got they've got history of, of missing things. Um, although arguably it's punishing Everton even more by uh, by not banning Pitford.
0: Well, Carl, that was to be my point about not just the Celso's tackle and Quetta. It's more about the people who allowed it not to have any real punishment. So, yes, it is Oliver and Coote. Teaming up as an axis of evil, but it more importantly says that Coop doesn't seem to be very good at VAR, and there's no real deterrent as a punishment because on Monday he's referee, sorry, he's refereeing Leeds versus Wolves.
2: Yeah, and, and this is an issue that needs looking at, isn't it? You know, we, we've had it with referees when there was no VAR, was it? That if, if one of them made a real, a real bad error, then they were obviously demoted to the Championship or League One for a few weeks ago and referees and games down there and taken out of the spotlight. Um, as, as a form of slap on the wrist. Um, and we need to be seeing this carry on. And, and it needs to be with Devar officials as well, you know, because, you know, you've got incidences, haven't you? Like, let's go back to last season with the Sheffield United-Aston Villa with, you know, the goal, yeah. you know, it's clear goal there. Um, and suddenly it's not given, you know. Yes, all right, the goal line technology failed that day. But you've got a guy sitting in a room with a TV screen watching something and doesn't go, uh, no, hang on. Your goal line technology might not be working, but that's a goal. Um, I can tell you 100% you've missed a goal here. That that should be 1-0. Um, so go back, please, and review this. And, and this needs to happen. You know, If these guys are missing something, then they they need to face not necessarily some punishments because no one wants to see someone necessarily always punished, but there needs to be some training. Um, I guess it it begs the other question as well is, does this guy feel confident enough to tell Michael Oliver what he needs to look at? I think this is another issue that maybe needs looking at eventually, that is the guy in the VAR booth confident enough to overrule the match official who maybe you know, Michael Oliver is probably one of our better referees and, and held in high regard, is he too scared to potentially say to this bloke, you've missed something here, you need to go and review this? Because he doesn't feel he's got the confidence to overrule him. Um, and I think all these things do need to be looked at. And again, we need to get the answers to these and get it right. Because, like I say, we all want to be on board with VAR and we all know that it can it could add some real benefit to the game. But while this is happening, it's just going to undermine anything good that it can bring at all.
0: Well, who was the referee when uh, Aston Villa and Sheffield United had that hoo-ha with the lack of goal? Michael Oliver. So you're almost getting to the point, Max, where should you just let referees referee? It's actually technology. It's making life more difficult for Michael Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, another aspect of
1: difficulty which has, been, um, which has been brought in by VAR because you've got the chance of people second-guessing referees and now there's much more scrutiny and spotlight on them. I am pro-VAR and it is... Um, improving the decision-making um, by by about 11%, I think the Premier League said, which if you consider referees make about 100,000 um, decisions per season, that, that's about 10,000 decisions more that are, that are correct because of VAR. It's just people are, are looking at them and looking at the examples when it doesn't work um, uh, and, and judging it like that. And um, What I also thought was interesting is that David Coote, who, as you mentioned, refereed Leeds Wolves uh, last night, uh, he missed a kick-out from Raul Jiménez. Yep. And that was, in my mind, exactly the same as when Son kicked out. I think it was a Chelsea player and got uh, a red card and a three-match ban, as far as I'm aware. Christian Benteke, a Palace player, did it against Villa after the final whistle last season, did a little kick-out, didn't connect at all, but that doesn't matter. You know, it's the intent. And he got a red card uh, and, and a three-game ban. And I And I really don't understand why Jimenez wasn't viewed as the same. It's just inconsistent, which is what's frustrating for a lot of football fans.
0: Oh, yeah, the Jimenez one, as they say, you've certainly seen him given. So it does sort of scratch your mind as to why that was not a red card either. But, Cole, in terms of Liverpool, I think it'd be unfair to say they've rode their luck in terms of injuries. But in this sort of last, what, two and a bit seasons now, they've never had a real key long-term injury. They're already missing Alisson. They've now got Van Dijk out for a long, long time. So their defensive spine is going to... Obviously, their goalkeeper is going to come back at some point, you know, a month or so. But this is a real, real hammer blow. And this is going to be such a test to their Championship retaining credentials.
2: Yeah, I think, as Max rightly said, you know, this is a real blow, isn't it? This is the one that you kind of go, oh... Actually, this could open the door for a for a title here because Van Dijk is the leader, isn't he? At the back, you know, he's the real one. That you kind of go with him playing. You sort of think, wow, well, he's the leader. He's strong. He's not going to make mistakes. Um, and Liverpool look, you know, well, say looks solid after the Aston Villa result before that, but we know that was a one-off. But. With Van Dijk, you know, Liverpool will feel they've got some real confidence of a solid centre-half. I think you take him away and you look at their options. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone that kind of would sit there and go, you'd feel confident with that pairing for a long period that they could bring home a title and keep the clean sheets they need to. So, I do believe, you know, we've seen... When Alisson is out, Liverpool have struggled, haven't they? You know, when they've had to bring Adrian in, that has been bad enough for them and they've looked very shaky. You now take Van Dijk out of that back four and I think Liverpool do have real problems. And I think this will give everyone else a little boost to think, right, hang on, with him missing, you know, yes, they'll still be dangerous going forward, but I think we can get at them now and possibly, you know, they'll be a lot weaker defensively, you know, goalkeepers out, Centre halves missing, and yeah, I think a few teams will be you know rubbing their hands, thinking we're in with a shout here now because Liverpool could struggle, um, and this could be a real blow to their you know hopes of retaining the title.
0: So, Max, with that big disadvantage of Liverpool now, it has levelled the playing field slightly, or certainly brought Liverpool closer into reach of what they were last season. Does this now mean that with so many goals being scored across the country in any given week, that whoever can sort out their defence? The quickest and the best will go on to win the Premier League this season,
1: yeah, I think it could be that. I think this could be the the season for for good de, for good defenses assigning the title, and it seems like an odd thing to say with you know United conceding six and Liverpool conceding seven and and things like that but w- we 've seen before that that defenses win you titles you think about um, Chelsea uh, under Mourinho in four yep. five it was it was the back line it was Ferrera Terry Cavallio um, you know the, the kind of hearts of the defense. Who I think they only conceded something absurd, like fifteen goals, um, in, in the whole season, um, and, and it was the absolute bedrock of their of their team. And it is going to be massive for Liverpool because they've obviously sold their fourth choice, Dayan Lovren, to, to Zenit uh, to Russia, <clears throat> and now they've only got <clears throat> excuse me, now they've only got Joel Matip and and Joe Gomez. Matip, who only played nine games last season because of injury, and Gomez, who's a good player, but when you think about the, the kind of strain that 's going to be put on them, given all the cup competitions and the league competitions and the, and, and Europe as well as well as the domestic um, competitions it's going it 's going to be a lot and um, the only backups they have now they 've got um, Seth vandenberg who 's eighteen and Rhys williams who 's nineteen and nathaniel phillips who 's twenty three and they 've got a combined total of zero Premier League games um, between them that you know they could really struggle if there 's another injury there. And you think about defences deciding titles, right? Rick Laporte had a similar, he was a similarly big loss to Man City, right? So his first full season, he played 51 times in all competitions and City won the domestic treble, uh, Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup. Last season, he only played 15 times in the league and City surrendered the title to Liverpool, while Van Dijk... Who, you know, made his debut in January twenty eighteen. He's played ninety-five out of ninety-six games wow. since his debut. He's been the one who's been ultra consistent, um, there every week. And he he's a captain, he's the leader, he 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 really he really does lead the, the the whole team and he makes the defenders and the goalkeeper around him better.
0: And it could be a huge, huge loss in the same way that LaPorte was for Man City. Well, I knew Van Dijk was a constant, but I didn't know he was that constant. That's an incredible stat. And I think, you know, no matter how you dress it, he's going to be such a a loss to Liverpool. And, you know, I think if you look to the the betting odds now, they'll be in a state of flux. And I think the next sort of six to eight matches, how Liverpool get out of this bind, well, they won't get out of it until he's back, but how they can sort of deal without him, whether that sees Fabinho uh, shuffled back to the back four, you know, it's an option, but it's not a great option. It's wide open and cold. In terms of Tottenham, they're going to have to do with their defence because West Ham snatched a draw from the jaws of defeat. I'm still really annoyed about this and it's Tuesday. So what have you got to say for the, this?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was sickening, wasn't it, really? Um, and, and actually, you know, when I say when you consider you're free up with 10 minutes to go, you know, eight minutes to go, it's actually disgraceful yeah, that a side of our quality has let that slip. Um, you know, you you can accept one. Um, And that one should have been the wake up to sit there and say, right, listen, come on, you know, let's let's get solid here because we don't need to do nothing silly. Uh, We don't need to be going gung ho. But what we don't need to be doing is switching off and allowing a team back into the game. Um, The second, again, you know, is dreadful. It's an own goal and a mistake. But again, it, you switch off and you ball watch and suddenly a ball behind you gets a fall back in uh, and he's in the back and that shouldn't have been allowed to happen. The third is just ridiculous all round because, you know, Aurier gets a ball, it, it's sloppy control, Then he suddenly gives away a silly free kick in a dangerous position, which isn't something Spurs have done the first time this season. You know, I take you back to the first game against Everton where we were making lots of silly, giving away lots of silly free kicks in dangerous areas where you're allowing a guy to whip a ball in. And as we know nowadays each Premier League side has got such good set-piece takers that you just can't allow that because one will come off eventually. Um, And then again, you know, when the ball breaks out, you've got a midfielder trying to take a touch uh, rather than just sticking it in row Z and getting rid because the clock is ticking down. So you just look at all those goals and go, that you know, that is dreadful defensively. And I still think it's the one thing that's going to cause us a problem over the course of the season, our defensive record. We've gone from a few years ago having one of the best defensive records going and being you know, one of the strongest sides in the league to suddenly now being one of the most open uh, and a side that you sit there and go, you just can't ever see them keeping a clean sheet because of the way they defend. Um, And if you want to be considered for titles or trophies, you've got to be able to keep clean sheets, see games out when you need to. Um, And and I can't see us doing that with the players we've got there. And I think that will come back to cause us real problems over the course of the season. But you just have to hang your head because, like I say, to surrender that game in the way they did. um, There's no positives to take from that. You know, yes, we were 3-0 up. But I will say at no point did I think we were ever fully comfortable in the game, even at 3-0, you know, we, we got that 3-0 lead. But West Ham still had a lot of the ball. It wasn't like we were keeping it under control and just, you know, so now it's a training game of keep ball. We were still surrendering the ball far too much and giving them too much of the ball. As Declan Rice is after the game in the second half. And, and again, this is something I think we could look back to the Newcastle game um, previously at White Hart Lane one nil up, come out the second half, and suddenly the urgency to kind of kill the game off died. And all the while you're sitting there going, well, this is only 1-0. This, is, this isn't finished because it can just take one attack. Um, and again, the same could be said... On Sunday, you know, we came out at 3-0 up and there was, the, you know, the urgency seemed to go and that desire to, like, that's definitely killed this off because four or five now, you know, that's it, it's game over. And we didn't look to do that. And again, you've been punished because in the Premier League, even the teams at the bottom have got enough quality to cause you problems if you kind of slacken off and allow them too much of the ball. And we got punished, but, you know, fair play to West Ham because a lot of sides, you know, I felt when they took Antonio off, I kind of thought, oh, well, that's, that's that's great. I think they've kind of accepted they've lost this one and they're going to rest him for, you know, matches coming up. So fair play for them for digging in and kind of finding the grit to get their, those goals back. Um, but it will be something I think Jose can look at and say, that's two home games now where we've surrendered winning positions when we really shouldn't have. And that's late in the game. And if you want to be up there challenging for not only top four, but titles, that isn't good enough, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, of course, Max, we do have to give West Ham some begrudging credit because with such a turnaround, we'll never know what David Moy said at half time. But whatever he said must have been fantastic because he spends two matches on Zoom. He probably might have thought, oh, do you know what, it's easy just to go and log on at the laptop back home and sit in bed. But West Ham, to their credit, they never gave up. And it would have been far easier for teams just to sort of, you know, know they're beating after 45 minutes. So what happened? Yes, yeah,
1: it's, it's difficult to say, really. I, I think there's, there's always an element uh, in the Premier League, especially, of you, you really can't count your chickens before they've hatched. And I'm not saying that Spurs were were necessarily um, complacent. But there is always in the back of your mind that there is the possibility that it could happen. And particularly with the West Ham players, they, they know that results can... You know, you can come back from three goals behind, um, like Palace did against Liverpool at Selhurst, or I had to get that in there somewhere, or come <laughs> from four behind even, like Newcastle did against Arsenal, and yep. when, uh, when Cheik scored that scored that wonder goal. You know, th- th- there's there's a legacy of of comebacks like that happening, and in a in a derby, um, even though in the London derby, even though there weren't any fans there, you know, there's just the sense that you can really take the game by the scruff of the neck, and and you can always. You can always pull out a couple of goals quickly, um, and so yeah. Credit to David Moyes for for his team talk. Credit to the players for for their heads not dropping because they kept going. They kept going, and it's a sign of their um, it's a sign of their their fitness and their and their and their determination that they really came through uh, at the end.
0: And what a fantastic goal to win it, even if it should have been cleared earlier. Yeah. Well, this is going to be the point that uh, many people have made on social media, Carl. Should Winks be putting his foot through that or, you know, has he even really got the right to be putting his foot through that because he's always on the stretch? Some could even argue he totally should have got a free kick, which is maybe clutching at
2: straws. But is it fair to give Winks the blame in that situation? I think that whole goal, you know, there's a few players, you know, well, there's a couple of players, in my opinion, that you can look at there. I say Aurier, first of all, um, you know, should should be doing better before the free kick because the ball is, played, is attempted to play down the line he has a simple job of trapping it and then basically can either play the ball upfield for you know percentage, looking at the clock. Um, he loses it, sloppy control. And then, like I say, when he gets a guy come across him, he should really be thinking, right, you're going nowhere now other than the touchline. That's not do nothing stupid because the last thing we need to do is give you an opportunity to throw the ball in the box right now. He makes a rash tackle. So there's the first guy I'd be pointing the finger at and saying, look, come on that that should never have happened from there. But then I do believe, as I say, at the point, you know, winks there, that is a situation where there are times where you just have to go, listen, this is the, you know, this could be one of the last kicks of the game. I'm not going to take a touch here. I'm stretching, so I'm not going to be able to guarantee my touch is a great one. That is just put your toe on it, get it up in the air, get it even if it's just near the halfway line all of a sudden, because at that point there, you're sitting there going, right, the defenders can all come up a little bit. We can kind of regain some shape uh, and then we deal with what comes next. The fact, as I say, that he tries to take a touch when he's on the stretch um, rather than just trying to get a toe to it and pushing it as far away from danger as he can. I do think you have to sit and look at a player and go, look, this is where you need to become a bit more intelligent and street smart and think about the situation at hand. Um, there wasn't, that wasn't the place to be trying to take a touch. Just get rid of it. You know, If you get rid of it, possibly the game has won. Um, so yeah, I, I think a couple of players there need to look at themselves. But I think if you look at all three West Ham goals, and I say I think this is the problem for us defensively, I think you've got massive errors on all of those goals that you have to sit there and say these are things we need to start concentrating on more and start eradicating from our game because if we're going to concede goals like this week in, week out, we've got no hope of trying to challenge anyone.
0: Now, Max, of course, in this result, we're sort of forgetting about Gareth Bale. Admittedly, it was a cameo, but there was so much hype for him before the match that uh, watching the game, it almost felt like Jamie Carragher wanted him to score as well. I mean, Spurs fans obviously wanted him to hit the net. He nearly did later on when it was 3-2 to Spurs. So is that miss just pure ring rust, or is it West Ham being commended for actually putting him off his touch? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's the latter. Um, and it didn't really get picked up on, but
1: it is a potentially match-saving contribution from Andrei Yarmolenko, who is not a player that you would uh, generally praise for his defensive contribution. He's absolutely sprinted back. And in fact, he is the only player, um, after Bale danced past a couple, he's the only player putting pressure on Bale and he's kind of leaning into him with his shoulder. It's not a foul. Um, it's just really, really clever... Um, defensive play and fantastic, um, real, really good hard work for him to have got back there from right up the pitch to put the pressure on. Because without him there, in my opinion, Bale buries it ninety-nine times out of a hundred. You know, no question.
2: And Max, it was really, really sorry, fantastic
1: Max. defense from him.
2: Max, do you think Bale was trying to be too clever with a finish? Because when I watched that back, for me. I, you, you can see what he's tried to do with a finish, where you know he maybe thinks the goalkeeper thinks I'm going to put this in, in you know the left hand corner here, so maybe I'll try to go for the right hand side of the goal. But for me, when I look at that incident, it had to be—he had to put it to the left of the goalkeeper. Given that his left foot is his strongest, and possibly curling it into that left-hand corner would have been a much better option than trying to, if you like, be clever and go to the right of him. Um, I just—I felt there, Bale picked the wrong option of where he was going to finish it. Um, what, what do you think, Max? Would you—would you think that he probably went for the too clever option rather than, given how much of the left goal he had? how close he was and how good his left foot is. I don't think if he whips that into the left corner with his left foot, that that's being saved at all.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Um, looking at it, it's, it's difficult to tell. He obviously made the decision on instinct. I think I don't I don't necessarily think he was trying to embarrass the keeper or anything or make it look cheekier than it needed to be. Uh, maybe he thought... Um, the keeper was less likely to be able to change direction than if he went across him. Fabianski, I suppose, could have maybe predicted it and and dived out and got it. Whereas if he went the other way, the keeper would have no chance of of getting there. But as you say, um, it, it did seem to be like the, the the better option to go across the goalie. Um, but then again, I'm not a world class football player, so I, I don't really
0: know <laughs> what went through his mind. Right, that wasn't the only 3-3 draw at the weekend because uh, Chelsea's German connection have finally got off the mark in terms of goals. So, Cole, I think it's fair to say that was Werner and Havertz's best combined game so far. Um, Werner's starting to look quite good from a sort of goalscoring point. Two decent goals against Southampton.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was any doubt, was there, that he'd be able to come in and adapt to the league. And, you know, he was looking a really good player for Leipzig, wasn't he? You know, I mean, he tore us apart, didn't he, Dan, over two games um, in the Champions League. So you kind of knew this guy had some quality. He's got some pace about him. Um, And I had no doubts that he'd come in and probably, you know, do quite well for Chelsea. It was a great signing. And I think over the course of the season, he will prove to be a great signing for them up front and score them the goals that they'll probably need to to be up there or thereabouts. Um, I guess there's some question marks whether the second should stand, given a handball um, situation, if VAR's going to rule goals out for a hand in the build-up. But he still did well to put it over the goalkeeper and then nod it away. Uh, He's going to be a class player, I think. and, And Kai Havertz, I think, has taken maybe a little bit longer to kind of settle down. But I think, again, we're seeing enough from him to know that once he is fully settled, he will also add some real quality to Chelsea and be a great signing for them.
0: Then again, Max, for all of Chelsea's attacking endeavour, they allowed Southampton back into the game twice. And I think the Saints' second goal just showed how much Chelsea were at sea that afternoon. Now, I know Zou did Kepper no favours with that sort of iffy backwards header. But between them, they made a right mess of that, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty farcical, um, pretty farcical stuff from them. And what I think is really telling is that, uh, is that uh, Azpilicueta has come out and set ahead of their uh, Champions League game, I think it's against Sevilla, and he said, oh, we feel like um, we need to score three or four every game so that we don't lose, just because of how many they're conceding. And that, that's a big admission, you know, for someone who, who's, who's captain and defender um, at at a club who 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 has genuine ambitions to win to win the Premier League title and saying we need to score three or four every game because our defence is rubbish, um, it's it's a big admission from him and and they have been pretty poor recently. Um, it's true that Zuma made a pretty bad mistake um, and maybe you know maybe he ha- he has the confidence um, to to pull that off properly when he's got a, a better keeper behind him in someone like Eduard Mendy who obviously kept a clean sheet in his. Uh, in his in his debut for Chelsea, um, but yeah, th- there are a lot of options back there for Chelsea, and they haven't quite settled on who's going to be their, their 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 best back four or back five even. Um, so they they really need to sort it out if they're if they if they're honestly thinking
0: about winning the title. Then again, Cole, you could argue that Kepa should have done better with Theo Walcott's late equaliser. Perhaps a block line of sight, but when you look back at the replays, he seems to react very late to the goal whizzing past him.
2: Yeah, I, you know. I think here's a guy again, you know, we could go back to Pickford earlier on um, in today's discussion. I think here's a guy that's just suffering mentally, um, and if you like, probably just needs some help being taken out of the firing line because at the moment, nothing he seems to do works, nothing he seems to do comes off. Um, you know, You've got defence in front of you that are not helping. But as we said with the first one, you know, the header back is, is is a pretty poor header. But then how you come out and suddenly miss the ball the way he has, not just once but twice, um, you then have to sit there and go, this is a goalkeeper that I think is just mentally all over the place. Um, and suddenly, you know, just isn't, isn't thinking right, isn't making the correct decisions that, you know, he should be doing for a player of his ability. And maybe he just needs a little bit of taking out of the firing line get himself right in training, you know, get his get his mental situation right and, and get some confidence back. Um, because as you say, you can look at some of them goals and go, well, oh, yeah, he probably should be doing better there, especially given you're the world's most expensive goalkeeper. But I just think you're looking at a guy who's kind of a little bit shot confidence and mentally right now. Um, and the trouble is, as much as sometimes you'd probably like to say, well, players need to just play games to play themselves out of that sort of form, when you're a goalkeeper, Um, that that can be very costly because, you know, one mistake suddenly costs you the game or loses you the points. And next thing you know, everyone's looking at you again saying, oh, you know, this guy. And and suddenly you just can't actually play yourself out of that form. If you're a striker and you miss a couple of chances, well, hey, everyone can forget about that if you end up winning the game or drawing the game. When you're a goalkeeper and you make one mistake and it's a 90th minute goal that costs you an equaliser or costs you the actual game, then it's highlighted massively. um, And I think he's going to struggle to get any sort of confidence and form back right now. Um, And it's a shame because, like I say, we have seen the guy has got some some good ability. He is a good goalkeeper. But right now, it's just not happening for him.
0: Right now, he's looking like Roberto from West Ham last season. Do you remember how bad he was? Oh, I don't think he's that bad. (laughs) Okay, Maybe a bit over the top. (laughs) Moving on swiftly then. So, Max, it's now seven points from the last nine for Southampton. A sluggish start after losing their first two. But they're continuing to look upwardly mobile, shall we say. So, for them, is a top-ten finish a very realistic target at the end of the season?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it is. And especially considering how strongly they finished last season. Um, basically, previously, um, to, to, to give you a massive overgeneralisation, they didn't really. They played nice football, but they didn't score. And now they have a goal scorer, one of the best natural, uh, instinctive goal scorers finishers in the whole league, in Danny Ings, who was very, very close to the Golden Boot last season, as, as you know. Um, and and they bought quite. They bought quite well. They brought um, S- Salisu, the centre back, who hasn't really featured yet. But he he's a big player for the future. They brought Ibrahim Adiello in centre midfield, who I think is a really really good prospect. And yeah, again, it shows whenever you whenever your team comes back, it shows really good um, really good fight, really good desire. Palace went a couple of goals down to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and we capitulated and we ended up losing four um, nil. And 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 Southampton just showed that you can come back from a couple of goals down. Um, you know, if 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 your heart's in it. <laughs> And, and they, they did really well to, to come back all the way. Again, another late another late equaliser. And I think definitely, definitely, given the players that they have, and I really rate the job Hasenhield's done as well, that they've definitely got a chance of top 10.
0: So by the same token, Carl, Aston Villa look like they might want the lot now because they're the only team still with a 100% record. And talk about a renaissance, Ross Barkley, since his loan move.
2: Yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, getting a move where you can play some regular football um, just helps, helps with the confidence. Um, but, but Villa have been very good so far, you know, they're definitely looking a good better side than what I think everyone probably thought. You know, I, I think we all probably thought they might struggle this season, you know, have that second season syndrome. But they've been excellent. Some great signings there, I think, in the summer, you know, but Bar- Barkley's done well. And I think the goalkeeper, I don't think you know. it's underestimated what a great goalkeeper they've signed. Um, he was looking good for Arsenal, wasn't he, at the end of last season. They've managed to prise him away. And I tell you now, he looks fantastic. And he's obviously given them some confidence. Um, and I think Villa, the way they've started, obviously we know, can they continue that? Will the bubble burst at some point? But hey, listen, while they're playing confidently the way they are, you've got Grealish in great form. If Barkley now comes and gets some form together, you've got a goalkeeper keeping clean sheets for fun. Um, They've got to be optimistic. And, you know, the way they've started, they'll be thinking, well, if we can just have a mid-table finish, um, you know, possibly a top 10 finish, you know, eighth or ninth, then they'll consider that a real success and something to build on. So I've been very impressed with them at the start.
0: So, Max, if we look at Ross Barkley,
2: you could say there's a similar
0: situation that could emerge with Dele Alley. Both wanting to get into the England squad at the end of the season. Both can play in that number 10 attack midfield role. So, does Dele Alli need a loan move just to give his uh, career a bit of a kickstart at the moment? Not to say he has to leave Spurs forever, but just go out and get some football, and show Jose Mourinho what he can do elsewhere? Um, maybe, maybe. Um, and
1: obviously, Frank, thinks that, uh, Frank Lampard thinks that that a loan move was best for Ruben Loftus-Cheek going to Fulham and for Ross Barkley um, going to Villa. I think it is a little bit early uh, to make sweeping judgments, but it looks uh, on the face of it as if Barkley going to Villa is a really good move for him because he's going to play 90 minutes every week, which he obviously wouldn't at Chelsea, given the competition in their midfield and attacking midfield. Um, and the same for Loftus Cheek because Loftus Cheek was fantastic on loan for Palace a couple of seasons ago, and he he just needs regular football and and regular football really brought his game on and actually propelled him uh, into the into the England World Cup squad after the season he had at Palace. Um, Deli Ali is is a, a slightly different case I think. Now you have got a lot of competition in midfield at Spurs, you know. Um, Højbjerg obviously signing, Lacelso and Dombele is finally finding his feet in the Premier League. Um, Sissoko, Winks, all of those players. Um, and given that Ali tends to play a little bit further forward as well, sometimes he plays wide where he's obviously got a lot, lots of competition as well. Um, I think he is talented enough that he that he, he he's worthy of staying at Spurs. But you know you saw he he was left out of the 18 of the of the whole match day squad against West Ham, I believe. And it may come to come to the point in January. Whereas if Mourinho um, doesn't doesn't trust him or hasn't been using him very much, and we know from the from the Spurs Amazon documentary that he that he thinks uh, Ali's a bit of a rubbish trainer, um, and you know needs to buck his ideas up if if he's to make the most of his potential. If it gets to January and he hasn't been used very much, he might be forced to to look for a move to really save his Tottenham and potentially England career, which is not something that I thought I'd be saying when I was watching him bang in almost 20 goals from midfield a couple of seasons ago.
0: Well, I think his first ever goal was at Leicester and Carl Leicester themselves picked up a number of injuries as of late. The, the news that Sunchu could be out for three months, we've just spoken about a, a big defensive blow for Liverpool, that's going to be quite a blow for the Foxes as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that that is going to be a big blow for them. Um, I think we saw at the end of, you know, when the restart happened last season, wasn't it? You know, he suddenly stupidly got himself sent off in oh, a yeah. game at Bournemouth. <laughs> booted um, a man in the net. <laughs> yeah, <just suddenly laughs> booted the guy in the goal for some reason, you know, lost his head for a moment. Um, and as we saw, you know, that those games he was missing kind of cost Leicester um, and they just weren't the same side. So, again, him being out is going to be a massive blow for them. And as you said, I think the trouble with Leicester, they've got... You know, they are one of them sides that have got a great 11 if they're all there. Um, You start picking up a few injuries or players drop off form and suddenly, you know, they're not as dangerous. Um, They'll be disappointed because, you know, given obviously coming off the back of that win against Man City, um, they would have felt a home game against Villa should have been won. They should have been getting three points in and continuing that momentum. So they'll be really disappointed to have dropped those points and not pick something up there because, again, you know, momentum is massive you don't want to be win one week you know not so great the next week next week you know better um, you've got to get some form going so they'll be disappointed but those injuries could be big for them
0: well Max they started great didn't they you know all this sort of talk of them fluffing their top four lines at the tail end of the last season you thought okay well that could be a negative spiral that starts at the start of this one it didn't three wins out of three perfect that said outside of the international break it's been home defeat so where's it starting to go wrong for the foxes I think they're just running out of defensive numbers
1: really. Um they obviously sold Ben Chilwell to to Chelsea for a lot of money which made sense as uh, financially as as a deal but they they got in uh Castagne who I've already talked about um can yeah. kind of cover both fullback positions but is and, and played actually at left wing back for Belgium against England but is more naturally a kind of right-sided fullback as is James Justin he can play left back but more naturally a right-sided fullback and then you know with ricardo Pereira coming back as well who i rate really highly but he's also a right back so i feel i feel like castagna is going to be the long-term left back for them um but he he'll be out of position when when Pereira eventually gets back and and takes justin's place in the team moreover they've had um they've had struggles with um with injury for soyuncu obviously now he's out for a long time um morgan where's morgan the the captain who won the premier league with them Um, he's obviously not getting any younger. He doesn't really have the pace. They have bought um, Wesley Fafana for about 30 million uh, from Saint-Étienne, who's a a highly rated centre-back, but is obviously a little bit green in terms of Premier League defending. And uh, and Johnny Evans, I think, was suspended at the start of the season as well. So they've been really chopping and changing at the back and struggling for numbers. Potentially the biggest loss is that of Wilfred Ndidi because he is... Really, really, really solid. Um, he makes such a massive difference for them, and basically they play the uh, the kind of four-one-four-one generally. Leicester, um, like, like Leeds do, and like Leeds do with Calvin Phillips. And Didi is that one kind of isolated defensive midfielder, and he's so good at his job that he can do it by himself but he has been a massive miss for them. And they have got some kind of other options. They could maybe play Yuri Tielemans deeper, even though he's more naturally uh, an eight or a little bit further forward. Um, they've got Hamza Chowdhury as well um, from the youth system or, or, or Papi Mendy, but n- none of them are as good as Ndidi are. And without that protection, and given also the defensive, uh, the defensive instability that they've got, um, as I already mentioned, um, it hasn't been, it hasn't been a very good
0: mixture for them, given the amount of goals that they're conceding. Okay, moving on to the M twenty three derby now, and I think with Brighton having what twenty shots, three of them admittedly were only on target, so it's not as overwhelming. Was that
2: just about the right result in the end, Carl? Being a draw, I think so. Yeah, I think in the end, on the balance, it probably was the right, right result. Um, you know, Brighton might kick themselves because again, you know, that they do play some nice football, Brighton. Um, but they can they can be a little bit streaky with it, you know. They they can be brilliant at times, and then other times be quite ordinary. But like as you say, I think. You know, yes, they had a lot of shots, as you say, only three really on target. I would say a draw was probably the fairest result. Um, And I think both sides may say they come away saying, well, okay, yeah, we'll we'll take a point. You know, it's better than a defeat. Um, It wasn't the game of the weekend by any means. But yeah, I'd sit there and say a point was fair enough. But, you know, Brighton can play some good stuff at times. So,
0: Max, Palace's penalty decision was bordering on soft, but at the same time, Batshire was almost sort of invited to go down. And when you... Been given that invite, you are going to take, it, aren't you? And penalties usually follow. Yeah, particularly when you think about players being, you know,
1: manhandled or or slightly fouled. Basically, if you don't go down, you don't get the penalty. Uh, I do agree with you. It was on the soft side, and I'd have been a little bit annoyed had it gone the other way. I've got to be honest about that. But at the same time, I would be annoyed if a Palace defender had made the challenge that Lampy did, because if you put your hands on. On someone, you're you're kind of asking for trouble, really, and maybe that's a little bit of an experience from Lamptey, who who otherwise had a really good game. Um, So, as I say, it was on the soft side, um, but the the reaction to it online was was obviously a little bit overblown, especially considering, um, you know, Brighton. I remember had a had a very 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 soft penalty last season when Aaron Connolly went down extremely softly under, under an Aston Villa tackle. Also, given Brighton had a very soft penalty given against Palace a couple of years ago, you know, I could go on. Um, so, it, yeah, some, sometimes you get those decisions. I would have been annoyed if it was given against us. It was on the soft side. But you are asking
0: for trouble when you put your hands on someone. Something that wasn't soft, coal was Lewis Dunk's late tackle on Gary Cahill. Now, admittedly, there was no malice. He's not set out to do him or anything like that. But at the same time, Dunk can have no complaints about entering the dressing room a few minutes before everyone else.
2: I I think this is the trouble now, isn't it? Those sort of tackles, even if you get a bit of the ball, I think we're in an era of football where that that can be redeemed or, you know, considered to be kind of reckless, you know, over the top, um, too strong. And as you know, you know, yes... That, that is a sort of tackle that when you make, it, it can suddenly get you in trouble, even if you still think you've won the ball. And, and, and if you like, you think if you've won the ball, it's a fair tackle. But we, uh, we are in an era now where even if you win the ball, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't be booked or can't be blown up for it. So as you say, it doesn't look like there's any malice in it. It's just too strong a tackle and the ref's taken a dislike into it. Uh, and, and he's seen the punishment that, that he's got for that.
0: And Max, how much of a concern is it for you that Palace had one single shot in ninety minutes? Yeah, and that one single shot was a penalty,
1: which, um, <laughs> which might not have been given. Um, yeah, it was. It was a little bit of a concern, obviously, given the kind of attacking talent that we have. But at the same time, we, we kind of, for the neutral, we kind of scored at a bad time for anyone watching that game because um, scoring within the first twenty minutes. Um, and going 1-0 up. Basically, we are a fantastic side at keeping narrow leads and we win a lot of games by the odd goal. Um, And I think we haven't lost a game from winning positions for about 18 months, I think the the, the stat on TV said. Um, So we are really good at holding on to a lead. And obviously, Roy Hodgson thinks that the best way to get a result over the line, to get the three points, is not for us to continue playing as if we haven't scored that goal, but to sit on that lead um, and arguably had we not conceded a, a deflected goal in you know stoppage time that would have been the right call um potentially and it it has worked for us so often in the past that i can understand why why we've done that if we if we hadn't had taken the lead um 20 minutes in you know who knows we might have gone on to score three goals unlikely but it's it's possible it was just kind of affected by the fact we were 1-0 up and that generally the way palace looked to protect those leads rather than extend the leads meant that we weren't as uh, ambitious attacking-wise as we might otherwise have been.
0: Right, it's the quickfire round. We've got about four or five minutes to go and five matches. So, Cole, Man City, they got the better of Arsenal. They're up to 11th in the table. That's not good for them, but they've got a game in hand. So should they win that, they'll quite easily eat up a few teams above them.
2: Yeah, yeah, City, you know, um, like I say, that they kind of dominated large chunks of this game and probably only be disappointed to come away with a 1-0 win because they, they could have and should have used their dominance to score a few more. Um, Arsenal were disappointing. I felt didn't really offer much going forward. Um, but unfortunately, the game kind of fizzled out after the second half. Um, but City will be pleased with a win, um, gets them back on track. And like, as you say, you know, it, you know, on another day, they could have scored more, and they'll use that as a confidence to go forward. And I'm sure they'll be up there um, within that top four and challenging for the title again within no time.
0: Okay, Max, you're off to the tune because United have returned to winning ways. It looked comfortable from a scoreline point of view, but they had to do it the hard way, didn't they? Yeah, very much so. Very much
1: so. Um, it it was a bit of a blow, obviously conceding a bit, uh, unfortunately in the in the first couple of minutes with uh, with a deflection like that. But I was I was really impressed by their Resolve because given the kind of previous I- I- issues that they've had, obviously Maguire on and off the pitch for England and United, um, they-, they could have crumbled, but they didn't. And actually, from a human perspective, I was really pleased to see Maguire uh, get a goal. Um, it was a really dominant header. It was the kind that we saw a lot of when he was playing for England at the World Cup. And hopefully he can get back to that form. Um, I was also pleased from a palace perspective to see Wan-Bissaka score. It was a really, really nice finish. I think it was the first senior goal of his whole career, so fair play to him and uh, yeah, man United really showed their their attacking potential um, and especially on the counter attacking at pace I, I, I saw uh, Usain Bolt tweeted now that looks like a, a Manchester United team when he saw uh, highlights of one of the goals, and it did look like a united team, and even without uh, Martial you know, the kind of talent that they've got in Bruno Fernandes and Rashford, it can hurt you from, those players can hurt you from anywhere on the pitch. And, you know, you can be 20 yards from their goal and 10 seconds later, the ball's in the back of your net. Um, so, yeah, it was it was, it was was a massive return to form for United. And
0: as Solskjaer said, it, it really kick-started their season. Carl, you get another United, Sheffield United, because they play Fulham on Sunday, a point for both. That's... I guess, what they need to get them
2: going, but really a day to forget for Mitrovic. Yeah, definitely, you know, one, one of those days. I think Sheffield United would be disappointed here because, again, I think, you know, the way Fulham have started, unfortunately for Matthew, who's normally with us, um, you know, If you have Fulham at home at the moment, you'd probably be expecting that you should get the three points. Um, So I think Sheffield United would be disappointed with that. Great result, in my opinion, for Fulham. That might give them a little bit of confidence to keep going forward. Um, But as you say, Mitrovic, you know, he will want to forget that day. And I'm sure he'll have better days in the Premier League than that. But I think Fulham can take a lot of confidence from that. and, And it might be something that helps them get some momentum going.
0: Okay, Max, so Leeds versus Wolves. Wolves starting to wake up now after a sluggish start, I think because of their Europa League exploits and the weight of that. But they've won two matches 1-0, so their wins are sort of more grind than flair at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, very much. And, and Wolves are a side we
1: associate with with flair. And, and on that point, I was uh, I was very much amused to see that they're just accepting all the all the all the banter they're getting for being Portugal FC <laughs> and just wearing the actual Portugal kit, just maroon and green the whole way down. They're just you know, if you if you're going to do something, do it properly. Um, so that was really good. And yeah, you're right. Although they've got a lot of really exciting attacking players, you know, Pedence and Neto, the likes of those players. Even Triore didn't even didn't even start the match, um, but that they're getting a really solid grounding from the defense that they've got behind them cody is a very very good club player if england play three at the back uh, he needs to start for me um and it was a fantastic uh, man of the match performance from max Kilman as well next to him who's the first uh, international futsal player to play in the premier league um he's, he's only 23 he's a young kid and and, it, and he hasn't played many games but he looked really solid in there and um yeah they've just got a very strong disciplined organised unit at the back there. And we could see a few more Wolves clean sheets in future.
0: Okay, West Brom Burnley, I'll take this one. Burnley off the mark, but sod paying £14.95 for that. You must be out of your mind if you paid money for that. Jesus. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's not football, is it? And it's not worth that price either. Right, I think that is full time. So I just have to do the admin before we run out of time. First up, I need to thank Max. A sterling performance this afternoon. Thanks for your time once again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here for the, for the special 100th episode. Yes, much appreciated, mate. Carl, thanks for wearing the captain's armband on such a show. More importantly, you've worn it so many times across this 100. I don't know the exact number, but it's a lot. And I couldn't have done this without you. So thanks so much. And here's to very many more.
2: No worries, Dan. It's been a real pleasure, mate. You know, really enjoy doing this with you and the guys. Um, we're all passionate football, so to get to talk about it and give our views it is brilliant. And you've given us a great platform and done a great job hosting. So as you say, mate, looking forward to many more um, and bring it on.
0: Yes, cheers, mate. And of course, thank you to the listeners, because without you, you know, why, why do so many episodes? So it means a lot. And like I say, we're passionate. I hope you can sort of sense that passion in the show. It comes across, I like to think so. So yes, here's to many hundreds, many more. Let's keep going. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye.